wish I could start the podcast in a better way and, uh, and with a, a poetic intro. But sadly, I think a, a sigh just seems to sum up where Norwich City are in the Premier League at the moment. Welcome to this week's Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio. Uh, I'm not David Freezer. I'm standing in for him uh, this week on a Southwell. Joined by Paddy Davitt and Adam Harvey. Uh, come in, close the door. Welcome to what hopefully will be a cathartic session of um, Norwich City reflection after Sunday's game. I mean, we're, we're actually recording this on Tuesday morning, so 48 hours after that game finished, we felt it, it would probably be better to let some time uh, go in between since that result because of the the emotion that people were were feeling and obviously the, the disappointment that people will be feeling as well because that result all but confirms Norwich City's fate barring some kind of miracle um it does look like it will be championship football for the canaries and for dean smith next season and uh, yeah that is really where we where we start our debate um after a 2-1 defeat to leeds united paddy i mean the first question really we sadly we are going to have to start on a on a negative friend but we're going to hope to bring it around and and be a bit more positive towards the end of the pod so we'll we'll leave you with a bit of positivity um, rather than starting and and ending with negativity i think that's the better way to do it but we, we were speaking last week ahead of Brentford and we, we looked at these two games, Park-Chelsea, obviously, that happened in between. But I think the common consensus was between me, Dave and, and yourself was they would probably need a minimum of four points and a maximum of six, really, to, to get themselves back in the race um, to, to stay in the Premier League. They've lost both of their, those games. They're heading back to the Championship. I mean, it's just it's so disappointing, isn't it, from an Oratiti perspective? Yeah, absolutely, Connor. That side probably does encapsulate anything that we could come out with in terms of words to underline the mood, really. It's just depressingly familiar. Um, and when you when you know that the games are running out and you have Brentford, uh, OK, the Chelsea one got sque- squeezed in between Brentford and Leeds, but, but you've got Brentford and then you've got Leeds, two teams who... Just hovering above, but but if Norwich had won both those games, firmly bring those two back into it, and then, irrespective of losing the, the Chelsea game, the rearranged Chelsea game, but you then go into this break period, but bullish, full of belief, momentum is starting to sort of build on and off the pitch, and then it's Brighton, April the second, start of the home straight, bring it on, and uh, sadly, all of all of that is a, is a is a distant memory now because the reality is now they're they're uh, barring something akin to what Craig Shakespeare, the assistant for Dean Smith, was involved with with Leicester in 2015, which was winning six of the last eight at Leicester um, to stay up in the greatest of great escapes. I think you would have to argue in the Premier League era in recent times anyway. Barring that, they're down, they're in the Championship and um, that poses a whole new different set of questions and challenges. So, yeah, just to bring it back to, as you rightly said, pre-Brentford, you know, the, you know, a lot of the things we, we did, a lot of the debates and um, analysis, yeah, thought I, I remember distinctly, you're right, I said four points was, was the minimum, but really six out of the, the nine, if we throw Chelsea into the mix as well, that were available, that was probably the t- territory they needed to be in now to take no points to really um, perform as poorly as anything against Brentford calamitous in many respects and then essentially as Dean Smith uh, was happy to to admit after the Leeds game only really turned up for a half against Chelsea and a half against Leeds and uh, unsurprisingly that's nowhere near good enough at the Premier League whether you're playing 
a team towards the top of Chelsea or even a team who were, you know, in free fall, you know, six straight defeats in the Premier League. Mark Cello Bielsa paid with his job. A new manager had come in and started off with two defeats. <laughs> Surely the wind was 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 there for Norwich to, to grasp the opportunity and to be as poor as they were in the first half. Well, let's get it straight. They were 1-0 down at the break. It could have been three or four. They could have been out of sight. And what unfolded in the second half may have been purely academic. Um, but even then, even even then for all of those things to to claw themselves back into the game in the 91st, 92nd minute, and then to concede the goal they did um, for Leeds' winner. Uh, that just, you know, uh, it's farcical, really. It's um, it, it casts those players, maybe even the coaches as well, in a, in a very unfavourable light, um, because I think we can can now start to shift some of the, the focus towards things. You know, he came in in November, it's now March, he's had a a fair proportion of games to work with this group of players. Yes, players inherited, not players that he would have maybe chosen in many respects, but, you know, he needs to be scrutinised, his players need to do, and increasingly what didn't happen maybe off the pitch as well, if we go back to last summer and the recruitment. So, not not a great place to be if, you, if you're associated with Norwich at the moment, but we've been here before, and as a result, you know that on the horizon, there is the potential for brighter days ahead. And um, sadly, that looks like it's going to be in the Championship. So uh, there's no no getting away from it. Nowhere near good enough. Lack of quality. And as I say, in certainly the first half against Chelsea and the first half against Leeds, a lack of belief, lack of application. Uh, maybe a sense that, and Dean Smith touched on this as well after Leeds, for some of these players, those games were too big. You know, And Brentford, let's throw that in as well. That the, the, the magnitude of the games and what was at stake where you want players to step forward and step up, one or two, probably more than one or two, actually, if we're being harsh, actually went the other way and retreated. And uh, not a good look, not a good look for Norwich City and uh, major work ahead, I think, as we move forward beyond what looks like another relegation. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, kind of the way we start this conversation and, and looking back on what was, I think we we all said and and what fans will have been saying as well a fairly decisive week because at various points over the last seven days we, we were talking about well if Norwich win here they could pull X team three points closer to them it, it could reduce the gap by this much and actually they, they they end it sitting bottom of the Premier League as the Premier League table tends to look when Norwich City are in it certainly in recent seasons um, Leeds United now 16th uh, nine points ahead of them Brentford on 30 points um, even 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 way beyond um, Norwich City now, that's the gap to 16th. Um, Adam, it's it's hard to to conjure up any sort of argument beyond one maybe based on miracle of how Norwich City get themselves out of the predicament they're in. It's, it's championship football again next season. It will be championship football again next season. Um, to, to bring this round to, to the fans, there's clearly been a lot of discontent around performances, around defeats, around how this season has unfolded. Do you get the sense that this is um, a real turning point? Do you get the sense that fans are, are, are turning, not just on, on the squad of players, but also those in, in positions of power? I mean, there was a banner in, in the away end after the game. I think it said no ambition and, and no fight. And, and, and it does seem like a lot of supporters are beginning to feel real anger with the position that, that Norwich City are in in the Premier League. 
Yeah, you've only got to go on social media and, and put hashtag NCFC into Twitter. And I think you can pick up the vibe amongst fans straight away. I think it's the fact that it's another season that Norwich are at premiership level and they haven't really competed. I think the argument in terms of the top hierarchy is a little bit redundant in the fact that Norwich did spend money in the summer. I think obviously the major reason why, well, the major flaw in the reason where they are, where they are is it's down to the recruitment. Uh, the players they've brought in simply aren't up to Premier League standard. I mean, Christoph Zollis is, an, is a prime example. I mean, in the future, two, three years down the line, he, he might be a premiership player, but at this right minute in time, he isn't that. Same for Josh Sargent. And obviously a lot of, well, Norwich had to dip into the markets overseas and obviously these players take time to adapt to, to Premiership football. We aren't in a pond like a lot of the big teams that they can go and find a, a Premiership-ready player that can come into your team and, and keep you up in the Premier League. But um, yeah, I think the frustration probably for a lot of Norwich fans is trying to get themselves back up for another Championship season next year. It's like, what is the point in going down and winning the title again if you're only going to come back up and and suffer the same fate as what they're well effectively under at the moment in in that's just another premiership relegation on their on their CV. Yeah, and we, we'll we'll come back round to to the ownership stuff in a bit more detail because I think it's particularly pertinent given what else is going on, not just in football but but also the world. But Paddy, I mean, we we both sat through Project Restart, the brutality of it. We saw a Norwich City team score one goal. They they lost all of their games. Subsequently, we we heard quotes from senior people at the club saying that they were going to learn the lessons, that um, players had to bottle up the, the pain that they were feeling and make sure that they didn't feel it again, that next time would be different. We're sat here with a Norwich City team who has fewer points at the same stage of the season, has scored fewer goals, is on track to concede more goals than that season. It looks at the moment like this team is actually going to finish in a worse position than the team two years ago did. How on earth has it been allowed to to get to that stage? How on earth has Norwich City imploded again, I suppose, in, in the Premier League? That is the question that fans will, will be asking. Well, ultimately, to you know, take 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 the point that Adam's made rightly, you know, all of that, all those rather horrendously negative, regressive st- stats come back to the players aren't good enough. Um, and OK, part, part of the equation is the coaching staff as well and, and hence why they had to make a change or felt they had to make a change and Daniel was replaced by Dean in November. But fundamentally, um, two head coaches now with that group of players have not been able to, it would, it would seem, um, generate enough in terms of results, even performances. You know, if you're only turning up for 45 minutes in a game at the Premier League level, then you can forget it. You know, Norwich needed to be bang at it for 90 minutes in every game to get anything. And even that probably a lot of weeks wouldn't have been good enough. So ultimately it comes out to the players and, and the players are not good enough. And that then comes down to the recruitment, which wasn't good enough fundamentally. And the margins, you know, what I would say, I would caveat that it may well end up, you know, you're talking about points gaps to Brentford and, and even Leeds now, there's a nine point gap. But, you know, it, it might look, uh, when the dust settles come sort of the end of May and, and Tottenham, the final home game, that in terms of points differentials, they have been well off it. And this may well be because this Premier League feels maybe in terms of the quality of the teams at the bottom, maybe more inferior to the to the project restart Premier League that Norwich inhabited two seasons ago. Because I don't, I don't think, you know, there's games where the margins were not that wide and that, you know, only needed maybe two or three games to t- to be turned, and and we're talking about. I mean, we're on the cusp of another international break. Norwich went into the previous one outside the bottom three, so so the margins 
are not as wise as it, the final table may tell us that they were, um, which again is even more frustrating because it, I don't think it would have taken too much different in terms of recruitment. I, I don't think necessarily the entire recruitment strategy was a complete and utter catastrophe. I, I think there's been players within the players they brought in who have shown glimpses this season, who could go on to show that they are good players. But overall, clearly, the recruitment hasn't improved, I don't think, the team who came out of the Championship last season. Most fans would probably agree it's actually weakened what they came out of that division with, given, you know, they essentially lost their two best players, you know, Skip going back to Tottenham and then Wendy are going on to Aston Villa. They haven't replaced those two. And um, as a result, this now quite clearly is an inferior squad to the team that came back out of the Championship. So where does the blame lie? The blame lies with the recruitment, ultimately. Um, but that isn't to excuse what Daniel Farker didn't do or maybe what Dean Smith isn't doing now. You could argue that there is quality in the squad. Certainly, Stuart Webber felt that was the case and that's why they decided to make a change in terms of the coaching position in, in November. They felt Daniel wasn't extracting the most that he could from the available resource. Well, Dean Smith, to this point, has fared little better, really, bar a, a brief flurry or two in terms of pockets of results. So you do have to really finally arrive at the only conclusion you can do, which was fundamentally the raw material isn't good enough. There isn't enough depth. There is quality, but there isn't enough depth. Uh, there's too many gaps in, in terms of certain areas of the, of the team. Um, you know, it, it feels like we've spent the whole season, I've just mentioned in there, talking about central midfield and almost trying to find an Oli Skip replacement. Well, in the last two games, Dean Smith has had to make a change at half-time against Chelsea and Leeds to his central midfield. What does that tell you? That tells you fundamentally the resource that he's got available in the centre of the park is nowhere near good enough. And to draw a parallel with two seasons ago, it was nowhere near good enough two seasons ago. And you hoped, as you said, Connor, that lessons would have been learned. Well, they, they haven't ultimately. And uh, that's why I think Stuart Webber will be, will be having to take quite a fair bit of flack if it is, as it looks, an inevitable return to the championship. Um, but, you know, I would counter, you know, as you said, there was a banner anywhere, no ambition. Well, they spent they spent 50 million, committed to 50 million with add-ons and potential add-ons. That could rise as, as high as 70 million. They were, as Stuart Webber himself uh, told us, pre-Leeds home game, the 11th biggest spenders across the whole of Europe last summer. There was no lack of money spent, even in within Norwich's self-model, self-financing model. They spent money, big money for Norwich. They just didn't spend it wisely enough. Not for this season, not for the here, not for the now, not to, as we all hoped, was the main objective, which was to finish 17th or higher. They look a long way short of that. And as a result, in this cycle, the recruitment has failed, clearly. Yeah, and that is ultimately where we end up, isn't it? With any any kind of faction of this debate that we really delve into, it comes back to that area is not good enough, that area is not good enough. And we can sit here and and and, and talk about those things individually, but really there's there's not a, a huge amount of point when the conclusion you reach is is the same every time. All I would say on, on, on the recruitment, I suppose, is that irrespective of maybe what it will be in a few years, Norwich City fans were told by people in senior positions that this year would be different. These would be players that, would be able to adapt to the Premier League quicker. That obviously hasn't happened. And as you said, uh, I'm sure Stuart Webber in particular will be maybe the one who has to come out and, uh, and face the music to an extent. And worth noting as well, we, we have asked and will continue to ask to, to speak to him. Um, of course, I, I doubt there's really much he can say until Norwich City are 
um, officially relegated because if that miracle did happen, he, he, he may look uh, somewhat silly after that. But we will uh, we will keep asking. I think that's a point worth uh, worth making at, at this stage. Um, Adam, for, for all the talk about Dean Smith and um, maybe where he falls into this in terms of blame, because inevitably that's what happens when a football season goes wrong. People look to certain people to point the finger and to issue blame and um, to say it was his fault, it was it was their fault, it was her fault, whatever. Um, whether that's right or whether that's wrong. Where does Dean Smith come into it? Because uh, as Paddy said earlier, he's he's had enough of the season. He only came in with 11 games played, um, albeit Norwich City were already in a, in a pretty precarious situation. Can, it, can can he be completely exonerated from, from what's happened since then? Does he have to take a, a portion of the blame as well? Where do you feel the kind of debate is around Dean Smith and his role on on how this season has unfolded for Norwich City? I think the difficulty with trying to lay blame at Dean Smith's door is the fact that he's inherited a, a squad that was Daniel Farker's come January. Obviously, there was no finances available for him to add to the squad or make changes that he may deem fit to to try and you know survive or at least try and build a squad that was competitive towards the end of the season. And I think one thing you could say with Dean Smith is he's not been afraid to change it up. I think Daniel Farker was often blamed for the fact he was quite stubborn um, in the sense that it was the same formation every week. And people said, you know, tactically, he's not up to Premier League standard. I think you can say that Dean Smith tactically, probably at times this season, has been up to it. I think, you know, you look at the games against like Everton, and Watford, Southampton, there's been a few of them where... I think, you know, it has just been those sort of tactical changes that he's maybe made at different points in the game. I think even Chelsea you know, last week, obviously bringing on Rashidza at half-time, you know, he had a big impact in the second half. Obviously, you know, Norwich are playing against the European and world champions, so it's, it's going to be difficult to overturn a, a 2-0 deficit at half-time. But I think, you know, those changes he's making at half-time and he's being proactive in in, his, in the way he's, um, he's managing. But yeah, he's obviously not completely out of blame. You know, at the end of the day, Norwich should be going to Leeds and... But, you know, games against Brentford at home and but at least being competitive and, and those first half performances particularly, but really over the course of the whole 90 in both of those games, Norwich weren't up to standard. And, and at the end of the day, he's the man in charge. He, you know, he's the one who's, who's putting the players on the pitch and, and, you know, giving them instructions during the during the week on the training pitch. And ultimately, the players aren't doing that on the pitch on, on the actual match day where or, or can. So, uh, yeah, I don't think you can completely rule him out but at the same time I think it's it's difficult because at the end of the day he wasn't here at the start of the season and you know he didn't make the decisions on recruitment that I think really is where majority of the blame for this season needs to needs to lie. Yeah where, where do you stand on this pad because it's, it's a difficult one around Smith isn't it because uh, as Adam correctly says there it's, it's not his squad he hasn't signed a single player but by the same token he kind of is that old phrase he knew what he was walking into I'm sure he would have been made aware of maybe the the plans or lack of for, for January. He came in, he felt this squad was good enough. He felt he could get a tune out of it. That clearly hasn't happened beyond maybe his first game in charge and, and the run of games that followed when Norwich picked up a, a few points against Wolves, Newcastle, and also that January spell. Beyond that, it's been, it's been a little... Sorry, boys, you lost me there, didn't you? I'll, I'll edit that out. I'll go again. Um, Pad, in in terms of uh, of that debate, it's an, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because um, even though, uh, as Adam correctly makes the point, he hasn't signed a single player. It was a squad assembled for a different coach. Dean Smith has, has walked into Norwich City feeling that he could get a tune out of the squad. Feeling um, it could be, it would, it was a group of players that that he could motivate and he could improve and he could see an uplift 
in. That hasn't happened for whatever reason, minus a, a little run in January and obviously when he, when he first came in as well. So can he be completely picked out of the, the blame game, I suppose? Can he be removed and, and, and can he not take any criticism or is there less criticism that can be thrown at, at Dean Smith in comparison to maybe people like Stuart Webber for, for this relegation? Well, I mean, I've checked actually since this swing of the last three games, but I, I think prior to, I, I mean, we did a, a piece for the Pink and App uh, assessing the state of play at the bottom, you know, going into this final phase as it were. And I think we punched up a, a table of only games since Dean Smith had been in charge and Norwich were outside that bottom three. If if the season had started on day, Dean Smith's first day in, in charge against Southampton, um, Norwich were out the bottom three. I don't know now, moving it on post-Brentford, post-Chelsea and Leeds, if that's still the case. But that tells you that that over the entirety of a 38-game season, I, I think they would have been, for me, certainly. And and it's I think we've seen it, really. Even if, again, to reference what I said previous, the final points tally, the goals against, the lack of goals scored, the lack of wins relatively, tell us maybe different. They, they, they do, I think, look more competitive over the entire piece since Dean Smith came in than he did prior to with Daniel Farke, where they were so far off the pace. Um, it wasn't true, really. and uh, But that isn't clearly good enough, not if, if the raw material isn't good enough. And I, I think, I don't think we can really begin to judge Dean Smith, really, until he's had a transfer window, certainly this summer, to, to put his imprint on the squad. And also, as well, um, increasingly his style of play, because I, I just think it's a mishmash at the moment. We don't know what a Dean Smith Norwich team looks like because ultimately it's just hand to mouth. It's game to game. Every game feels bigger than the previous game. And and there's no real discernible pattern, certainly not in comparison to a, a Daniel Farker Norwich team, which we knew what that was about good or bad. Uh, you knew what a Daniel Farker team was about and what they were trying to do with the ball, how they were trying to progress the ball, how they were even trying to play without the ball, you know, but all that takes time. That That's something that, Daniel Farker didn't bed in when he walked through the door in 2017. That took probably a season or two. Um, and likewise, I think it would take end of the season, a summer then to reflect, a summer to go again in the transfer market. Dean Smith to really you know, make decisions on players he's got under his charge now who he doesn't, doesn't think are good enough, move them on, bring ones in he thinks can improve the group. And then also, I think, to just have that pre-season almost to work with the, his group, not the group he inherited, and then let's see what Dean Smith looks like in terms of, uh, you know, almost from a, a fresh start and a, and, a, and a blank sheet of paper. Um, but, you know, that doesn't disguise the fact that I'm sure, you know, if we've got him in a quiet moment, he 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 wouldn't shy away that he has to take his share of responsibility. They haven't, bar the initial uplift and then that brief elusive flurry sort of post-January, uh, post-festive period, sorry, um, when they beat Everton and, and they beat Watford. Um Bar those two, it's it's pretty much been not good enough ultimately under Dean Smith so far, and uh, he would be the first to to acknowledge that clearly because he said when he walked through the door, and uh, unless he was you know unless he was spinning us a line, he one of the first things he said was, I think having worked with this group for a few days now, there is quality in the squad and they are good enough to to have a genuine attempt at staying up. Well, as as we sit here now, you know, um, middle of March, that doesn't look like it's going to be the case. So if he felt the quality was there and he hasn't extracted that quality on a consistent basis, 
then ultimately he the buck stops with him for me, irrespective of the, the the wider recruitment debate and the resource, which is obviously then, you know, Stuart Weber has to come in into the equation then. But but in terms of what we've seen on the pitch from this group of Norwich players. If Dean Smith felt they would, they could produce more, and they haven't, then then he has to take his share of responsibility. But I just think, in terms of, we need to hang fire it, it more broadly in terms of is Dean Smith the man who can can lead them forward again? Because you know, ultimately, the 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 season was tailing in a or tanking in a pretty pretty negative fashion when he walked through the door, and and if he hasn't been really able to arrest that and take it in the other direction, then you know that. That's one level of responsibility, but I think that I think on a, the wider picture, in terms of moving forward, we have to reserve judgment because this isn't his squad of players. This is a squad of players inherited, and whatever he has or hasn't done, it hasn't been good enough. But I don't think that necessarily means he isn't the, the right man to, to take it forward into the championship with his group of players. You know, whether it's ones who he has decided are going to be with him on the journey from the current group, or the ones who are, are not going to be on the journey. Um, it's very hard to to do anything more than incremental changes and tweaks and nuances when you're in in the thick of what which what he inherited was a, a a Premier League relegation scrap and and let's be honest they were cut adrift when he walked through the door Norwich although they'd won that final game at Brentford under Daniel they had plenty of ground to make up the goal difference was already horrendous um, and he did to reiterate what I said earlier get them to the point where they were outside the bottom three. Going into that previous international break, they were outside the bottom three. So clearly he did have an uplift. It just hasn't been able to be sustained. And um, as a result, you know, it's probably going to end in the championship. But for me, I mean, any if we wanted to widen the debate, any, anybody suggesting that is he the right man to take it on I'm, I'm, at this stage? No, for me, he is definitely the right man to take it on for the simple reason that he got a team out of the championship before. He did it with Aston Villa. He, he was he was building something, I think, where Brentford are now. It, you have to give him a lot of credit for the work that he put in prior to, obviously, as he said at the time, you know, his club came calling and Aston Villa too good an opportunity for him to turn down. But I wouldn't have been at all surprised if he'd managed to get Brentford to where they are now as well because he was he had a very, very progressive, pleasing on the eye, attack-minded team that he was building at Brentford. So it's, for me, looking at Dean Smith, not so much what we've seen in these last four months in a very, very difficult situation. It's more what we saw from Dean Smith as a coach in previous postings that he's had to, to, to feel confident that he, along with the very experienced Shakespeare alongside him, will know what's required this summer and then moving into what looks like a championship season. Yeah, I don't, I don't get the impression that he's someone that's that's just going to wash his hands with it. We we know he likes to to work, and uh, as you said there, I think you you look at his body of working in, in in coaching in management. What he's shown is that he's very capable of building football teams. And Norwich City do need a a build, uh, and some may say a rebuild as well, um, which we'll have plenty of time to kind of dissect and uh, and work our way through. So it's it's obviously going to be interesting. I may well be proven wrong, but it doesn't feel like at this stage that Norwich City are, are going to have a, a different head coach in charge come the start of next season. But we shall see. Um, just how that may depend on, on on just how damaging the the end of this season it um, actually will turn out to be. But Adam, if we if we touch upon the Leeds game slightly, for uh, and we can kind of park the first half because I think there's there's not much more to say about that other than it wasn't good enough and it could have been a lot significantly worse for Norwich City. But there were signs of uh, of life. I felt particularly in, in in the last twenty minutes where they did make a real game of it. They, they equalised through Kenny McLean, but the fact they conceded a goal deep into stoppage time, three minutes after they'd netted what could have been a, 
Uh, a, I don't know if it would have been a, an important equaliser or if it would have delayed the inevitable, to be frank, but um, certainly an equaliser that would have seen them extract something from the game. To lose it really kind of sums up all of the debate that we've had around Norwich City's quality level, maybe not being where it needs to be in the Premier League. Yeah, I, th- I think that pretty much just encapsulated the whole season so far, that sort of last five, ten minutes where there's been periods of hope and inevitably Norwich City have often been on the, the wrong side of a result. And as you said, there was there was moments of here and there where it looked quite positive. I thought John Rowe again came on and, and influenced the game. Obviously, hit the crossbar, very unlucky not to score. Obviously, Melok Rashid's uh, VAR again involved, uh, probably the right decision in the end, but again, sort of creating a few issues here and there. And yeah, I thought Puki was a little bit more involved as well. Obviously, had that effort as well, deep into stoppage time, even after Leeds had, had got the ahead in the game and, and he could have scored there. So you've got to say that Norwich, again, are similar to that Chelsea game. They just seem to come to life. And that's ultimately what I found so frustrating at periods this season. In the Premier League, Norwich have looked quite competitive and, and capable of competing at this level. But at the same time, over consistently, over 90 minutes, they just aren't up to scratch. And, and that's ultimately why they're going back down to the Championship. Yeah, I, uh, I'm struggling in my head to really pick out a full 90-minute performance where Norwich City have really shown that they're up to scratch in, in the Premier League. Maybe Watford away, I suppose. You're, you're automatically drawn to the victories, aren't you? Um, there are there, There's certainly few and far between. I'm, I'm sure there's probably a couple that we could pick out. But, Paddy, it's it's particularly pertinent at the moment, I think, to, to talk about the ownership of football clubs and, and the way football clubs are, are run in this country. Um, we, we're obviously sitting as uh, as we watch Ukraine um, invade uh, Russia, sorry, invade Ukraine with, with real aggression. The, the sanctions that have been placed on on certain people in this country, one of which Roman Abramovich, who of course was the owner of, of Chelsea. Um, we sat in, in Carrow Road and, and listened to their away fans chant his name for, for large portions of that game, which was slightly surreal. You see, obviously, the criticism that, that Newcastle United's ownership is, is getting at the moment, um, PIF, which although the Premier League isn't uh, is stating isn't um, kind of directly linked to the government. There's there's a lot of people from the Saudi Arabia government involved with that investment fund. And, and there's obviously the criticism of what's going on in Yemen at the moment. And Eddie Howe is, is constantly fielding questions on that. You've got Manchester City uh, owners, again, linked with the, the, the state um, uh, who elected to, to abstain on a vote of uh, uh, against Russia in, in, in the United Nations. Um, we could we could go on, really. Um, it, it's a very murky water that football finds itself at the moment. There is, um, uh, as Adam has said, you look on social media uh, and that really is because of uh, because of the world that we live in. The, the really the only way to gauge how Norwich City fans are, are feeling at the moment. And certainly there's a, a portion on there who are unhappy with the way the club is run. And, and and the fact that, as we said, we spoke about the banner that was in the away end, this this idea of no ambition, which to me, when used in a footballing context, ambition means money, right? So we're talking about a, a lack of finance. And, and there is the criticism that Norwich City's self-funding model isn't enough to, 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 to stay in this league when you're having to compete against um, states, essentially, which is what they are. Um, so what, what do you kind of make of the fact that, given the context that I've just described and the situation that we're in, that Norwich City's ownership and Norwich City's ownership model is being scrutinised by some sections of supporters. Because I think to many people from the outside, I recognise it won't feel like this for, for many Norwich fans, but from the outside, they'll be looking at Norwich City as a self-funding football club, good attendances, good academy, good training facilities, not in any debt compared to maybe some of the other teams who could come down this season and feel that maybe some of that criticism by their own supporters 
is maybe a little bit wide of the mark. Do you sympathise with, with Norwich City supporters? Do you think it's just frustration of uh, of the of, of their Premier League existence? I suppose. Yeah, oh, it's absolutely frustration. But but fans want answers, don't they? They you know they would, as you rightly said, when it's framed that no, it'll be different this time around by people inside the club. That you know we we've learned we've spent money, and you know I accept about the relatively the limitations of Norwich's ownership in terms of their purse, uh, the depth the depth of the purse with with some of these other actors you mentioned there, Connor. But they they still across the whole of Europe last summer spent, you know, significant sums of money. So that doesn't wash for me that aspect of it in terms of Norwich showed no ambition financially. They did show ambition. They've just got it wrong. Fundamentally, they've got it wrong. And, um, you know, I don't have any personal hard or fast feelings on whether Norwich should remain uh, a self-funded model or whether Delia and Michael should be the majority shareholders or they should go in a different direction. Um, because that's you know that's for supporters who who uh, whose club it is to 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 express their opinions. But ultimately, with so much uncertainty around ownership in football at the moment at the top end of the English game, um, and not just the top end. Look at what's happened at Derby. You know that's a shambles. Uh, Berry going out of existence, even lower down the pecking order, and and, and none of these things I say to to suggest. Oh well, we must stick with Delia and Michael and unfashionable Norwich and, and, and spending only what they earn kind of thing, as if that's a lack of ambition. Um, but certainly there's a, there's a certainty and there's a reassuring familiarity to in what are very, very volatile times for, well, the world in general, but but just in the much narrower and far less significant focus that is football. Um, you know, we, we saw during the pandemic in terms of the impact of that financially on football that to, to have... Norwich's model um, was put on a pedestal. You know, there was nobody saying lack of ambition. There was no banners then um, that Norwich and, and the way they did things was was the right way to go about it, to navigate, you know, okay, a, a cyclical, some, something we hope never have to live through again. But but for pandemic, read, you know, the financial shocks that, that, that are happening, uh, you know, in the world in general. You know, there might be other events that, that come and impact as they are, you know, War, war in Eastern Europe. That is now fundamentally, um, mainly through the prism of what's happened with Chelsea and their ownership and the sanctions. But the ripple effects will be will be will be felt across the Premier League, across football in general in this country, as they will in every other sporting environment um, and every other part of society. So <laughs> I don't I don't see why to turn it around. Why a solvent club? Why a club who spend and, and live within their means? A club who've Spent twelve million on developing their, their training facilities. Who are still looking at the feasibility of, it, of expanding Car Road if the finances can be put in place down the line. You know, all of those things to me do sound like ambitious, do sound like progressive elements, and do feel like uh, a, a direction of travel where, if you're a Norwich fan, you know your club will be here in the mid and the longer term, and that that club will be around. Other clubs might not be. So you know. I don't want to say be careful what you wish for, but but the grass isn't necessarily greener, and it isn't about let's pluck one of these mythical uh, investors who's who's just sat there with a wad of cash, willing to plough it into Norwich, uh, and and we'll we'll do it in a way that is maybe the Leicester ownership uh, approach, that as opposed to maybe 
I don't know, I don't want to get myself in trouble, but the other clubs where they've wanted to change kits or change the, the name of the club or rebrand this or rebrand that, you know, there is no, there's no magic solution to, to the ownership debate for me. And it'd be naive to, to think that there is, that, that Delia and Michael can step aside and suddenly will come somebody on a white charger um, and, and it'll be everything that Norwich fans who want those changes would dream of because there's no guarantees that that would be the case. Because there's plenty of examples. For as much as you can put a Leicester City on on a pedestal, we could put plenty of other clubs um, up against that, that that it hasn't worked with with ownership, either domestic or foreign. Uh, the nationality for me is probably a bit of a red herring in this debate. But I just think where where football is in general, where society is in general, would you rather know that your club's in safe hands, or would you rather want to roll the dice? Um, because you you feel that that is the path to Premier League longevity. Well, I've got news for you. Burnley could come down with Norwich quite conceivably this season. How many years have they been in the Premier League? How many seasons of Premier League revenue have they had? And it might still not be enough, as it hasn't been for many other clubs who were established. Stoke, look where Stoke are now, ailing at the wrong end of the Championship after a decade. And they have, if you want to talk wealth, they have uh, you know the, the head of the, the, the Bet365 uh, Goliath. So, so there's no issue with the finances that Stoke have got to put on the table. Yet, that as 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 a single factor has not prevented Stoke from tumbling out of the Premier League and now looking like they're they're set for another season or two at Championship level, maybe even worse. So, no guarantees whatsoever. But that isn't me saying that. Oh, we must stick with Dealey and Michael, and that's the only way to go. And the self-funding model is the only way to go because it's a far more nuanced debate than that. But you know, I also do not see that um, suddenly them walking off into the sunset this summer uh, and some, some, as I say, um, investor who yet is to emerge uh, coming over the horizon is necessarily the, the path to Norwich becoming a, a Premier League staple as opposed to uh, a bit of a, a bit of a, an occasional visitor at present. So I guess it ultimately boils down to, and I'm not a Norwich fan, so it's not for me to decide. But as a Norwich fan, each and every single Norwich fan, ask yourself the question, what do you want? What do you value? Do you value a club who are sustainable and rooted in the community and think about where they're going to be in, not just next season or not just the next 90 minutes and and three points, where they're going to be in years to come and decades to come and generations of Norwich fans to come? Or do you want something else? Do, Do you want to chase whatever that dream is, whatever the dream would be for Norwich City in the Premier League, because it's not going to be winning the title. It's not going to be where they were in 92, 93, that, that era, and competing for the Premier League. Forget it. Never going to happen again. Leicester was was probably a, a once in a, well, don't even know. But we'll never, I don't think we'll ever see that again. You know, quite clearly, this is now, um, if you're clubs of Norwich's stature, this is really the most you can probably expect is, I don't know, maybe win the odd cup, maybe, maybe sort of push into the top half of the table. But anything beyond that, even with very, very deep pockets for an owner, I think that's still going to always be, you're always never going to crack what is now the elite. Unless, as I say, the shock that, you know, has been wrought in terms of the situation at Chelsea, whether that now has a knock-on effect in terms of football governance and that, you know, there's talk of the government maybe moving to a position where there's an outside regulator who will be imposed on football now in terms of fit, fit and proper person tests and tightening up the, the trails of money and 
and the accounting side of it, whether all of that now comes and then the whole landscape shifts again. Well, we don't know. We can't say that. But right here, right now, ask yourself as a Norwich fan, what matters most to you? And, and ultimately from that, you probably get your answer is whether you think this current ownership and this current ownership model is for you or not. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a really it's a really hard question to answer, and it's a it's a really difficult debate to be had. And to be frank, we're not going to have the time to to cover all of it. Um, and it does often. Uh, I think it's it, it is interesting in terms of the way you framed it there. And I know Norwich City aren't your club, but I am going to bounce it back to you because uh, I think Coventry are are maybe a a good example of uh, of how ownership can go wrong. It's stabilised a little bit now, but obviously you've seen your your football team play their their football matches in Northampton in Birmingham. There has been a lot of uh, of unhappiness from Coventry fans around the owners and their decision making process. So, again, not a Norwich fan, so hard for you to answer that question. But in terms of what you've seen at Cov, again, with maybe the the caveat that things have stabilised a little bit, I suppose you've seen firsthand with your own club how difficult this ownership debate is to have. Well, so, I mean, it is a very very good parallel. Although I, I don't really want to relive some of the poorer moments in recent times if you're a Cov fan, but yeah. They were. They were playing at Northampton. Nomadic existence. They still don't have a stadium. They rent. They're back at the, as it's now called, the Coventry Building Society Arena, formerly the Rico, but they don't own the stadium. The tenants there. Um, you know, there's, whole, there's, there's issues around that in terms of match day income and revenue uh, and the restrictions and limitations they've got because they don't own, you know, the property essentially. Um, but, you know, that's ha- as bad as it could get and, and, and worse. You know, they were in League Two. Um, you know, I, I saw them at league two, at Wembley winning, winning a League Two playoff final against Exeter. And, um, you know, that was a good day, but there was plenty of dark days prior to that. And thankfully, yeah, under under the astute management of Mark Robbins, they, they have stabilised now and they are, you know, hopefully um, those days are behind us. But that's what can happen. And, and ultimately, probably... Cov have righted themselves, but let's just look at Derby just a bit further along in, in, in terms of the East Midlands. What what the future holds for that club, who were for for for, for many a season, um, certainly Premier League set up in terms of club on and off the pitch and spent a few seasons in the Premier League. Um, you know, I remember that playoff final, Chrissy Martin was playing for them and, and they should have beat QPR that day. Um, Bobby Zamora scored, didn't he? Um, very late on, but how the path of history could have changed on a, on a kick or two of a football that day. And and now they find themselves, well, I've followed the twists and turns, if I'm honest, too closely in recent weeks, but it, it looks like that club is, is League One bound, but it might get worse than that. There might not even be a derby. If they can't sort out the these these issues around the, the ownership and obviously administrators are in at the moment and trying to find some sort of path to, to changing the stewardship of the club. But, Berry went out of business. It's not inconceivable. Derby could go out of business, and and what what a clarion call that would be to to clubs and fans elsewhere that you know there, but for the grace of God, and 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 that is for me, you know, something that should always be at the back of the mind of anybody who wants to discuss ownership more broadly, but maybe the model as well at Norwich because it isn't just about the ownership; it's about the model and what Norwich choose to do and how they choose to do it. Um, if you're not happy with that, or you're not happy with the the lack of finance in terms of being pumped in by by individuals, then you know, fine. But but what do you want? What do you want? And and how do you think you get to a, a place where it, it is better? And not just for the the short term, but as Derby did, they tried to chase the dream. Look where they are now. You know, so so that is the warning. And that isn't to say that 
it couldn't go like Leicester went, but you know, it could go the other way. So, but that isn't that isn't for me to suggest that well, we'll stick rather than twist. But it needs to be far more nuanced, and there needs to be an understanding that you know, I don't think there is some uh, queue of owners or potential owners lining up, looking at Norwich and thinking, yeah, that's a vehicle I want to get involved with. You know, whether it's for good or whether it's for you know bad intentions in terms of making a fast book. Um, so, you know, it's all very well saying get rid or, or move on or change the structure, but, you know, what else is there uh, to replace it with at the moment? So, yeah, but you're right. You know, my club, my club didn't have a home. They still don't really have a home. They had to play games many miles away. They had to go down to League Two. Uh, and and even looking, even look below League Two now, look in the National League, look at some of the clubs there who were staples of the Football League for decade after decade. And now they're outside, you know, the top four professional leagues, if you want to say that, you know, it's not beyond the realms, you know, there's clubs in League One who have very famous histories. And dare I say it, there's one not too many miles away from Norwich as well, who are, who are probably looking like they're going to be in for another season of League One football. You know, that that can be what happens if your club isn't well run. And, and whatever you say about the limitations of the self-funded model, and whatever you say about on the pitch this season and what may look like a Premier League relegation season, are Norwich a well-run club? The answer, categorically, emphatically, yes. Yeah, and to, and to add to that, I think it's it, it's pretty clear from from the noises that we're hearing that, that this season Norwich are, are going to end the season in probably their best financial situation ever, which although isn't particularly sexy for supporters to hear when, when ultimately it's three points, isn't it, rather than bank accounts that the people are interested in. Um, but it's it's a state of fact that given uh, you know we we mentioned before the context that the Cardiff manager Steve Morrison has has spoken about about there being not a lot of money in the championship we're seeing points deductions in the championship we're seeing clubs throughout the pyramid getting real financial trouble um because of uh, of covid and and the way that their football clubs are run the vast majority of football clubs lose money every month it, it's a very dangerous and precarious situation to to gamble your football club on the basis of finishing what three places higher in a league that, as you've said, Paddy, you're never going to win. It's it, it's a really difficult debate. But I mean, to add balance to it, Adam, it's it, it's difficult. And I think in many ways, just to back up the point, I said there's no pertinent, more pertinent example than than Everton at the moment because they've spent nearly half a billion pounds on players. They've had Champions League winning managers. They've had firefighters. They, they, they've had every single type of coach that that you could imagine really and yet with a difficult run-in with Frank Lampard now at the helm they look like they could join Norwich City in the championship so it's, it's extremely difficult to simply look at money or a lack of finance or a lack of resource as the reason that Norwich City are in this mess and by the same token when we're talking about investment it's very difficult to get someone to invest into something without actually physically owning it so I mean I mean where do you stand on on this ownership debate and, and the debate around ownership really because it was it was interesting I felt what Chris Sutton wrote in his column for 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 us um when he was keen to talk about maybe it's the model that's not being applied fully correctly rather than actually the ownership model that Norwich City have at this moment in time do, do you agree with that or do you feel supporters are right to maybe ask questions of of the way the football club is being run at the moment I think Everton is a good starting point. I actually saw an article on the Times this morning uh, that Everton could be in financial calamity if they get relegated. I think they've suffered the the biggest losses in the past three years in English football. And we're talking about a club here with a, a very rich history, a very strong fan base, and 
They've got an England international goalkeeper. They arguably poached one of Norwich's best players in, in Ben Godfrey only a matter of seasons ago. They've got Richarlison, who they spent £50 million on, and they're still going to be in the same situation, potentially, as, as Norwich. So you look at that in that, in that, and you know, I think there's still clubs that envy Norwich, you know, teams like Bolton, Derby, even Nottingham Forest. They've not featured in the Premier League in, in recent years, and they would definitely take a, a 20th or 21st position in the English pyramid over the positions that they're in at the moment. So I think that sort of element in terms of the ownership is is almost a bit of a difficult one because I think Norwich, the only way that Norwich progress is actually if they get more further investment as opposed to Delia is actually the problem and the root of the issue here. I think at the end of the day, I know that my football club tomorrow when I wake up is still going to be here where you look at the likes of Derby fans at the moment, you know, they don't know next season if they've got a football team to support. So it is tricky, I think. Ultimately, I think the issue actually lies with the Premier League and, and English football as opposed to Norwich and, and their model. I think the money that's in the top of the game at the moment is actually the issue. It's the reason it's not competitive. Not, at the end of the day, if Norwich spent £200 million last summer, they still can't compete with Manchester City and Liverpool. And that that's just English football and the way it is. And effectively, when the Premier League came into force in 1992-93, that was ultimately the route that... Uh, the English football changed and at that moment teams like Ipswich you know have won titles in the past and and those other teams like Nottingham Forest that have got big histories that's why they are now well championship league one teams because the money that's you know got these ownership and and the money that's in the top of the game is ultimately where teams strive to get you know Derby have obviously chucked money at trying to get to the Premier League and and failed to get there Norwich have done it their own way got there and are going to be in a position next season where they will be able to effectively go and get players that other teams in the championship will want. And actually, financially, they'll be in a better position. You know, if they can sell a few assets in the summer, maybe a Max Aaron's, they're still going to turn in a decent amount of revenue and they're going to have money to spend. And, and you'd expect Norwich to still be in that top six bracket next season in the championship where, you know, I, I'd take that every day of the week over not having a football club. So I think it's, it is a difficult one. Obviously, I want to see Norwich, you know, progress and, whether that be in a premiership, you know, try and stabilise there and, and maybe try and win a domestic trophy or, or fight for European places. Obviously, I want that. But I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is that I want my children to grow up and support Norwich City. And at the end of the day, at least I know my team's going to be here tomorrow. Yeah, it's it's a really nuanced debate. And, and as I said, we're not going to spend too much longer on it. And, and I think you'd probably need a, a, a two hour, three hour bumper pod to fully cover all of the issues within it. But um, given maybe what we're discussing and uh, amid what's going on in the world and, and a real spotlight being put on football in terms of the source of money uh, and, you know, irrespective of, of maybe how people feel about Norwich City's ownership at this moment in time. Dean Smith is never going to be asked a question on um, why the the regime that owns the club uh, is, is maybe overseeing um, murdering whoever or, or, or whatever um, oppressive things that are happening in, in in that country or, or whatnot. So, so yeah, I think hopefully we, we've delved into that deep enough at, and haven't just scratched at the surface of it, but it, it's a very nuanced debate and, and one that is polarizing I think by the very nature so hopefully we, we've tried to add a little bit of balance to it but Pad I said we'd end the uh, the pod with a bit of positivity so there's no Norwich game for three weeks yeah I was I wasn't stunned silence I was on mute there Connor but uh, <laughs> yeah funnily enough um, yeah that does doesn't feel a lot long enough to be honest I could do with about three months off if I'm on, if I'm brutally on, I mean we've uh, Poor old us, but we've traversed quite a few miles of late um, and not really had too much to cling to, uh, ultimately. But, um, 
yeah, more importantly, uh, three weeks for Norwich and uh, the coaching staff and players, albeit probably only this week, Dean Smith said he'd have a full compliment because um, after this week, uh, well, after the weekend, the... Uh, Coming, it'll be the internationals again, and he he put the figure at around about fourteen players who, who would be dotting off far and wide. I've already seen, you know, prior to recording today, um, Matthias Norman's been called up for Norway, and you know all the usual suspects. I'm sure will will will, will go off, and probably I think Dean Smith that put the number about eight players will be left behind. So for the next two weeks beyond this one, can't do too much in terms of preparing for uh, for Brighton. Sorry, uh, on on the restart, but um, you know I just hope, of course. I mean, Dean Smith himself said after Leeds, there'll be no white flag. We have 27 points to play for. It's still possible that the impossible can come to pass. It looks increasingly unlikely, you have to say. But publicly, if that is the messaging, understandable. But privately, I'd just like to think a, a three-week pause almost allows him and Shakespeare and, and Weber and maybe Adams just to get around the table out of the, uh, the the incessant pressure of preparing for a game of football and, and, and trying to win a game of football uh, and just start to, to set the, the wheels in motion for, for the summer or maybe accelerate, because I'm sure those conversations maybe took place in January, maybe even took place when they were trying to entice Dean to come to the club um, about what, what it looks like in terms of if they stay up and if they don't stay up. And, and it looks like the second of those scenarios is now the one they need to plan for. So uh, I would hope that... Uh, they can they can really start putting some groundwork in place because they will need to be very proactive and very uh, very urgent in the, in what they do in the summer, both in in owning you know what looks like another relegation and drawing a line under that and admitting you know where they've got it wrong and and then more importantly probably thereafter is uh, putting tangible plan in place to 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 make sure that you know it's a one season stay yet again in the championship. And, and then we can have these debates again about, you know, can Norwich bridge the divide this time next summer? But um, I, I don't think certainly Dean Smith in these next two and a half weeks as it is now is going to find uh, a, a, a hitherto uh, formula that is going to basically get Norwich into a position where, you know, they can they can stay up. So for me, it's, it's, um, it's probably just more a time to reflect and, refocus and reset and uh, as I said maybe away from the the public sort of platform but privately definitely uh, really accelerate what needs to happen pretty swiftly in the summer. Yes absolutely and Adam if we come to you to, to close the pod what does a, a good end to relative to Norris's position of course what does a good end of the season now look like I think we we pretty much all in agreement. I think even the most optimistic Norwich City fans will say it's it would take something pretty miraculous for them to to recover their situation they're in now. So so what does a good end to the season look like for Norwich City at this moment in time? I think obviously they've got freedom now to go and express themselves, and obviously they're playing for their Norwich City futures or that their futures elsewhere. So I think you know certain players that maybe still want to try and being a premiership team next season, they're going to have to step up and, and prove their worth in these final nine games. And I think for the fans as well, that you know, they've got to realise that they've obviously been through this roller coaster journey that we've been on this season. And I think it's only fair that they continue to show the fight, show the spirit. And, you know, if they get, well, they go down and, you know, they don't get any more points, at least show a little bit of, you know, spirit. I think, you know, they look at that project restart period and I didn't even watch half the last games because it was just so, you just went into every game and they just seemed like there was a lack of, 
energy, a lack of tempo, a lack of intensity from all the squad and obviously had a bit of a turnover that season of players and you, know, you could see a bit of a turnover again this season. But I think at the end of the day, Dean Smith can now kind of experiment a little bit with the players and, and maybe give certain players a chance, you know, the likes of a, a John Rowe, give him a few minutes and try and prepare for, you know, a big summer ahead is if Norwich are going to, you know, try and rebuild and at least, you know, try and aim for a promotion or a title push next season in the in the championship, which is ultimately where they're going to be, I think. Yes, which acts as a perfect segue to say if you want a bit more on what happens next on, on the future, then it's well worth uh, checking out the Monday Night Club, which is a, a bit of a podcast extra that we do on the Pink and Plus app where uh, we have each taken free picks essentially that, that we would uh, we would build the, the the Norwich City team around in the championship if uh, if we were in charge obviously we're not thankfully for for everyone else um we started with a sigh hopefully we've ended with a little bit of a smile and, and got things off our chest a little bit Jen thank you so much for joining me thank you very much for listening as well it's going to be a quiet three weeks for Norwich City but of course the content um, from our side of things will continue to ramp up if you haven't uh, downloaded the Pink and Plus app, please do. I think you get one month free at the moment, one ninety nine. Thereafter, plenty of quality content, including some very, very good interviews that we've got lined up as well to uh, to roll out to keep you entertained over the next few weeks. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, keep safe, uh, stay healthy, and uh, we will see you on the other side. <laughs>